The Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded Chapter 22 Musashi's Mail Christian gasped and opened his eyes. If I keep doing this, I'm going to hyperventilate. He rose and rubbed his head. Stop! Who goes there? Zealot's hands closed around Christian's armor. Hoisted into the air in Zealot's firm grip, Christian glanced around the room. Small apartment covered in trash, clothes, and various detritus. He couldn't even see the floor. Zealot shook Christian. How did you get in here? Zealot was thin, almost decrepit. Not old, but withered, like he hadn't seen the sun in months. His voice rose. Well? He sounded frantic, angry, fearful, impossible. Christian put a hand on Zealot's arm. I'm jacked into your virtual simulation. I've come to rescue you. Put me down. Rescue me? Indeed. Zealot leaned in as if sniffing Christian. He pulled back as if he had detected something. You're in league with the enemy. I know it. You're all in league with the enemy. I'm the only one who sees it. None of you are to be trusted. Yes, you are correct, Christian said. I was distracted by the giant contentment, who was actually the giant despair in disguise, but I'm better now. Ha! Zealot hoisted Christian even higher. Then you admit it! I shall throw you out my window! A window materialized in a wall where no window had existed before. Yes, a voice said. Christian looked toward the voice, but all he saw was a refrigerator. He can't be trusted, another voice said. Christian looked for that voice, but only saw a rice maker. He's evil! You can only trust yourself! The voice came from the television. Christian looked back at Zealot. Your appliances can talk? No, appliances can't talk, the refrigerator said. Oh, yes, Zealot said. They do that. You spend enough time alone in a room, and all the major appliances gain sentience and can communicate with you. Really? I've never experienced that. You have to be alone for a... Long time. Long enough to... Zealot's voice trailed off. Wait, you're distracting me. I was going to eject you. He pulled Christian back, ready to throw him through the window. Zealot, Christian yelled. Love is in danger. Zealot stared at Christian and relaxed his grip, still looking suspicious. Love is dead. Zealot's voice cracked and tears filled his eyes. I know she's dead. I saw... You're wrong. Love is still alive. Christian scanned Zealot's face for any signs of acceptance, any cracks in his frantic resistance. There is no love, Zealot screamed as he dropped Christian to the floor. Zealot collapsed, his hands covering his face. All that exists for me is this room. I can't go out and risk getting corrupted by you and your weak-willed ways. What if I hurt another person? Such a sad existence, the rice maker said. The appliance did indeed have eyes, a mouth, and other general features of anthropomorphism that Christian had not noticed before. This is a horrible way to spend your days, the television said. It's true, Zealot lowered his hands and looked towards the television. Simply staying in here is a useless existence. I must be useful. For a moment, he sounded like his old self. Then he groaned and covered his face again. But no, it's, it's too risky. No, it's not. Christian put a reassuring hand on Zealot's shoulder. Listen to the talking appliances. You could kill yourself, the refrigerator said. Eliminate your sin and shame. Hide yourself from the world completely. Okay, Christian said. Now stop listening to the talking appliances. I can't go out. Zealot said. What else is there to do? 
You have wasted your life, the coffee maker said. You are a failure. It is true, Zealot said. I have failed. Wait, no, Christian activated his comlink. Truth, quick, tell Zealot he isn't a failure. Christian raised the volume for Zealot to hear. There was static at first. Truth's voice came through. Zealot is a failure, she said. I mean, objectively speaking, he failed to stop the giant contentment, though he was the first to realize something was wrong. He got fooled by the platitude platypus, and Christian muted her. Truth, you're not helping. You'll see, the television said. Truth agrees. Through death, maybe you can atone for your crimes. That's just crazy talk, Christian said. You can't atone for anything through your death. That's why death is eternal. It will never be enough to make up for your evil. Then what? Zealot looked up from the floor and stared into Christian's eyes. Zealot looked like he was pleading with Christian, but his tone sounded demanding. Christian took a deep breath. You just have to leave this room. No! I'll be corrupted! The outside is dangerous! Is that the Zealot I know? A coward? How dare you! Zealot stepped towards the window, which enlarged and twisted into a balcony with no railing. Far below was a river of icy water. He stepped towards the edge. Christian reached out to pull Zealot back. Zealot's size and strength made such an effort seem silly, but Christian did have power armor, and Zealot wasn't wearing his. I have no purpose here! Zealot pushed towards the edge. Even without power armor, he was unimaginably strong. It would be no different if I were dead! Christian thought back to the images the interpreter had shown him. Zealot, remember when I was trapped by the sloth of Despond? When I arrived too late to save open-minded? Yes, I do remember that. But you helped me. Christian pulled, but Zealot inched closer to the edge. In the City of Morality, remember that hotel? You tried to save those slaves while Truth and I sat around talking about metaphysics with the secretary. And I saved no one. Zealot reached the edge. Christian pulled harder, but he lost his grip and fell back. One foot stepped out over the long drop below. There was one trick left. Christian ran past a zealot and dove off the balcony. Help! Christian shouted as he was falling. A hand grabbed his wrist. It was zealot. The real zealot. His body no longer looked weak and frail. Christian! You must be careful! You could hurt yourself being so... His voice trailed off again. Wait, where are we? Why am I not wearing my power armor? And why am I not currently in the process of annihilating some evil fiend? You're trapped in the pit of humiliation. This is all a simulation. Why was I acting all non-zealous? Zealot had a twinge of distrust in his voice. It's this place. It twists you. Zealot leaned closer, still distrustful. How are you able to snap me out of it? I used the old Clarence trick. Apparently all these artificial dream states use pop culture references as their base programming, so I thought it would work. I appealed to your instinctual desire to help others. Your problem was selfishness, so I figured a little selfless act could help you out. Zealot put Christian down on the balcony. Ah, very clever, but risky. I might not have caught you. Not really. Christian adjusted his armor. The interpreter said that if we die in the simulation, we don't actually die in real life. Seems like a low-quality simulation to me. What? No risk of death? Then we must escape. What fun is life without peril? Suddenly, Christian was back in the pit of humiliation. Zealot stood inside his cylinder. The glass was smashed out from the inside, and the green fluid had drained out into the pit. Well, that was easy, Christian said. 
As I predicted, the interpreter said over the comm, get Zealot going in the right direction and he will do the rest of the work. Indeed! Zealot ripped out the wires and tubes that connected him to the inside of the cylinder. Now come, let us go forth and find love. I remember now where they imprisoned her and feel responsible for getting her into this predicament. But even if I hadn't, it is my fortune to be given a chance to assist another. Forward! He looked around. Or rather, upward! He clambered out of the cylinder, unaware of the sharp glass, then clambered up several rows of cylinders. Christian watched him for a while, then spotted love in a cylinder that Zealot blindly clambered past. Zealot, you passed her three levels ago. All right, Zealot reversed course. Downward! With his grapple gun, Christian pulled himself up to Love's level and reached it, just as Zealot did. Love hung suspended in a cylinder of green fluid, just like Zealot's, but she seemed more graceful, more at home. Her eyelights fluttered as if she was in a vivid dream. Conscience, Christian said, will you do the honors? Conscience pouted, then clambered down Christian's shoulder and into his hand. Zealot drew his pistol. Can we not simply destroy her cage with a comically excessive use of force? He fired a few missiles into the glass. The explosions shook the shaft and rocks fell around them, but there was no effect on the glass. No such luck, the interpreter said. Those cages were all virtually indestructible. Zealot was able to break it earlier, Christian said. That was from the inside the interpreter said. From the inside, the glass is as feeble as paper, but from the outside, it is among the strongest materials ever made. You don't mean... Christian's voice trailed off for dramatic effect. That's right! Video game cutscene glass! Zealot and Christian gasped. Then it's settled! Zealot slapped Christian on the back. Nothing can break through video game cutscene glass! We must commence with these cyberpunk shenanigans! Zealot reached for the top of the cylinder. What do we do? We hit it with our consciences as hard as we can. Actually, Truth's voice broke in. You can just lightly touch the port with conscience. You don't need to as hard as we can. Christian hoisted conscience up. Conscience gave a terrified squeal. Christian and Zealot struck the cylinder. Christian closed his eyes and waited for whatever chaos lived inside love's mind. We'll be back with more Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded. After these messages. The Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded is brought to you by the following. Do you like heresy? You know, like when people state or imply objectively incorrect facts about the nature of God or spiritual things. I know I do. I can't get enough of heresy. Which is why I make sure to use... Apathy. When I use apathy, whenever I hear someone spout heresy, I don't have to speak out, comment on the internet, or email davidumstatfanmail at gmail.com when I hear a stated or implied heresy on the Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded podcast. Once again, that's D-A-V-I-D-U-M-S-T-A-T-T-D-F-A-N-M-A-I-L at gmail.com. Yes, that's two T's and a D at the end of Umstat. It's spelled that way because somebody misspelled the name a hundred years ago when the Umstats were too lazy to change it. But yes, David Umstadt fanmail at gmail.com. That's the email I don't complain to when I hear heresy. 
Because who cares if somebody is intentionally or accidentally spreading false worldviews that can corrupt someone's understanding of God, the holy and perfect creator of the universe who deserves all respect, and whom we must make every effort to serve out of diligent obedience because the Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your strength, among other things. But loving God with your strength sounds hard. And what's the big deal if somebody else starts believing a false idea without hearing the correct counter-argument? It's not like it's you who's going to be fooled. It's somebody else who might have their worldview hijacked by falsehood. So they then may start spreading that inaccuracy, creating a pandemic of falsehood, but that's other people's problems, not yours. Sure, it's also possible you are the one wrong in spreading a pandemic of falsehood yourself and confronting an opposing worldview may educate you into the truth so that you are no longer believing in spreading lies, but finding out you are wrong is uncomfortable. Why risk it? So try apathy and don't email davidumstatfanmail at gmail.com with your heresy arguments, even though David has purposefully included a piece of heresy in this book somewhere, he won't say where, just to illustrate his fallibility and to encourage critical reading so people don't just accept everything in his book at face value and are critical of the contents so only the actual persuasive and true bits remain. But maybe there is other heresy that needs to be expunged before this book becomes more popular. Be sure not to try to correct that, because it's hard, and maybe David will call you a dum-dum. And when it's a choice between fighting the spread of falsehood which disparages the nature of the perfect holy creator who is deserving of all honor and glory, and being called a dum-dum, well, I don't know about you. But I don't like being called a dum-dum. Apathy. Try it. Or don't. You know, because I don't really care. We now return to Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded. Someone smacked Christian in the face. He woke up. Zealot was standing over him, smiling. Ouch! Zealot! Why did you do that? It looked like you were about to gasp and open your eyes! I decided to wake you up before that happened! Thanks. Christian stood and brushed himself off. They were in a long, empty corridor, completely dark except for a few flickering glows from broken electronics in the walls and ceiling. So, this is Love's subconscious? More like Love's Mindscape prison, Truth said over the comm, crafted for her by Apollyon. It's so quiet, Christian said. This seems ominous, Zealot said. Indeed, Christian raised his goss rifle. That's my line, Zealot gave a friendly shove. Christian almost went to the floor, but he regained his balance and looked behind him, weapon ready. A little jumpy, aren't you? Zealot followed Christian's gaze. Nothing in the corridor, but it was so dark. Could they be sure? Christian struggled and headed down the corridor. Don't scare me like that. It was unintentional, Zealot said. It always is, Christian said under his breath. Zealot looked at Christian, and a twinge of concern crossed his face. What matter of gratuitous terror has caused you to feel such general aversion? Something about this place seems familiar. As Christian walked down the corridor, studying the walls, strange sounds came from the end of the hall. This seems to be a vessel of some kind, Zealot said. I recognize its various aesthetics. 
They reached a large blast door. It seemed like an entrance to a bridge. As they approached, the door opened. Before them stood a dimly lit room. To one side stood a large holographic display of a globe. Sides of the room were filled with dozens of control stations and screens displaying a myriad of tactical information. A red humanoid-shaped blob of bleeding flesh stood in front of the main control panel. Zealot and Christian pointed their weapons at the humanoid shape. Wait! Christian looked closer at the figure. Oh my flower bed, it's love! The figure turned its head and surveyed them. The look on the figure's face seemed disinterested, almost distant. But there was no mistake. This was love. She wore her old outfit, and her hands moved lazily over several control panels in weariness. Zealot holstered his pistol. Love! What have they done to you? Who did it? How might I best damage them? Love looked back at the screens and typed onto a keypad. What do you mean? Oh no! Zealot shouted, much louder than before. His normal talking voice could be interpreted as a shout. She's attempting passive aggression, given my previous misdeeds against her! He looked worried. Something beeped on the screen. Love looked closely. No! Another soldier has died because of me! She raised her remote. More lines of blood appeared on her flesh, and she winced in pain. Love, stop! Christian stepped towards her, but her shield pushed him back. I must pay for my failures! Love lowered her remote and turned to another screen. Grapple the snipers up onto the high ground. They should be able to clear this pod, but open with the heavy's grenade to shred the enemy armor and remove their cover. Wait a minute. Zealot took a step back and looked around. This control panel! That hollow globe! Truth! Where are we? Truth's voice came in over the comm. It looks like you're in a squad-based tactical roguelite game whose specificity can't be stipulated due to copyright reasons. Of course, Christian said. It all makes sense. A simulated squad-based game with permadeath and procedural generation. It's the ultimate expression of empathetic masochism. Zealot stroked his chin. Then love is trapped within this prison of empathetic masochism. We must free her! He pointed his pistol at love, then hesitated. Hold on. Is this one of those problems I can fix by shooting? That seems unlikely, given that shooting her is what precipitated this malady, Truth said. Shooting her again won't undo her being shot? No, this isn't like head trauma-induced memory loss, which for some reason always undoes itself with another blow to the head. Shooting love again will not free her from her masochistic emotional isolation. Free! Christian studied the screen, which displayed a squad of soldiers moving through an abandoned neighborhood. These names seem significant, Christian pointed at the soldiers. Name tags. Dream, hope, ambition, calling. A warning flashed across the screen. Squad member Dream fell into a puddle of his own blood. Another one dead! Love struck a monitor. More lines of red flashed across her flesh. Tears fell from her face. Whether from the pain of heart or pain of body was unclear. Zealot winced. Love, you have to cease this mockery of justice. You cannot punish yourself for these squad members dying. Love waved a dismissive hand. It is my duty to escort these people to safety. If I cannot, then I must be punished. It isn't your place to punish yourself, Christian said. Love's look at Christian was venomous. Are you trying to take away my one solace in this hard time? Tough. If I can't do good, at least I can punish myself for my failures. It's the only source of satisfaction I have left. None of those squad members will make it to the end of this mission, so I deserve it. Zealot walked forward into Love's shield. He didn't back away. 
Her shield crackled against his face and torso. He glared into Love's face, looking down at her with contempt. Now you listen to me, small woman. Nothing you do can make up for any evil you have done or good you failed to do. Those hopes, dreams, and goals that are dying on that screen? You can't undo their deaths by slicing up your own flesh? Do you think the overseer is so poor a judge he would be bribed by your self-destructive efforts? For shame, love, for shame, I say. Thrice more, I say, for shame. Don't you talk to me, love said. You shot me. Yes, zealot said, embarrassed. I am sorry about that. That was my bad. I believed you had been corrupted beyond salvation. I thought all desire had been twisted into a distraction. But now I understand that it was a twist of something good. Stifling or destroying you was not the solution. That led me to imprison myself in a self-centered prison of paranoia. You must be brought under control, not destroyed. Love's eyes filled with an anger that mirrored Zealot's. She floated upwards so she could look down at Christian and Zealot. You want to control me, love? Try it. A bright purple flash blinded Christian. When his eyes readjusted, he and Zealot were standing in a clearing in some vague cityscape. In front of them stood a series of specifically waist-high walls. Zealot looked around at the conveniently placed cover. Uh-oh! Four soldiers ran towards them from an alley at the far end of the clearing. They opened fire. Zealot and Christian dove for the cover. Love's voice sounded from atop one of the buildings. She looked down at her troops below and shouted orders. Stay behind full cover! Flank them! Christian glanced up at Love. She stood on top of a two-story building next to the clearing. Christian scanned the assailants. Okay, there are four of them and two of us. We should probably wait for them to flank us and focus on defending one of those flanks, moving forward to avoid the opposing flank. Then it's two against two. We could probably ignore the other flankers if we go straight for... Zealot was gone. Christian looked around. Zealot charged towards the four assailants, shouting and firing rockets. Man, made lake obstructions, Christian swore and then vaulted over his cover. Two bullets struck his armor and he rolled towards the next set of cover. Zealot, wait, let's talk about this. An explosion. One of the soldiers flew over Christian's head. Christian saw a glint of a sniper rifle at the end of the clearing. A bullet whizzed past his head and he pulled back behind his cover. I am doubt, a voice shouted from the sniper's direction. You will not advance. You will stay where you are. Another shot. No, I won't. Christian leapt over the wall and ran for another piece of cover. The sniper's rifle barked and bullets ripped into Christian's armor. Christian fell to the asphalt, out of view of the sniper. He crawled through the cover towards the building Love was at. A soldier stepped into his way. I am Pain. I say you cannot confront Love. Pain leveled a shotgun at Christian. Christian rolled away, avoiding a shotgun blast. Christian raised his rifle to fire at Pain. A small flying robot flew over to Pain and projected a defense matrix over the figure. A soldier far in the back of the clearing had a control pad in his hands. I am fear. I say you cannot confront pain. Christian fired at pain, but the defense matrix turned the bullets aside. A grenade landed at Christian's feet. He jumped away, but it was too late. The grenade exploded and tossed Christian against a wall. He hit the ground. Blood dripped from the cracks in his armor. A figure stepped out of the smoke, grenade launcher in hand. I am called Thrill. You must go where I say. Zealot, help, Christian said, coughing. They've got me surrounded. He looked around. Zealot, where are you? Zealot landed in the center of the clearing with an impact that knocked all the soldiers to the ground. In one hand, he held his pistol. In the other, he held love. Zealot, Christian staggered towards him. You got love. How? Zealot looked like he didn't understand the question. I just did. 
Her protective shields were a bit rough to overcome, but I just gritted my teeth and muscled through them. But how did you make it past doubt, pain, fear, and thrill? Zella looked around at the battlefield, confusion on his face. I just ignored them. You can do that? Zealot tilted his head and raised an eyebrow. Yes, why didn't you? They were shooting at me. And this means you had to let them stop you? How could I not? Christian looked around at his assailants. They hadn't moved from being knocked down by the shockwave of Zealot's fall. I still don't understand how you made it through. I just did. Saving love was my priority. But didn't they shoot at you? Maybe. I honestly don't remember. It's possible I was struck a few... You think you've won? Love shouted from Zealot's back. Do your worst. I won't break. Zealot redirected his confusion towards Love. Love, I do not wish to hurt you. Oh, I see, Love said. You think I'm too weak to withstand your torture. We aren't going to torture you, Love, Christian said. We're trying to rescue you. Ha! Like I'm going to fall for that? This one tried to destroy me. I said I was sorry. What more do you want? Zealot scoffed. Women are so complicated. Love's scowl deepened. Maybe try apologizing better, Christian said. Oh, very well. Zealot grabbed Love and set her down with such force that she gave a small yelp. He fell to one knee and bowed as if in shame. Words are such a futile medium to properly convey my sorrow and pain at the thought that I would willingly do you harm. Yet the facts are worse than mere thought. It was action multiplying such pain and sorrow to such an extent that I would join you in self-destructive damage towards myself in hopes that it would one day atone for my incomprehensible evil, but to do so would be futile, for no action I may take could possibly atone, even in part, for the cowardly, distasteful evil and just plain rude action that I took back in the restaurant of contentment. Love stared at Zealot, her expression unchanged. Did truth dictate that to you? Zealot looked ashamed and pressed a hand to his ear, deactivating his comlink. Love, cut him a break, Christian said. He's trying to say he's sorry. Well, I'm not sorry. Love looked away and turned up her nose. I wasn't doing anything wrong in the restaurant of contentment. Then why were you damaging yourself earlier? Zealot said, looking confused. Because I feel guilty. What? Uh, Love looked from side to side, avoiding Zealot's gaze. I don't know, I just did. This isn't getting anywhere. Christian looked around for an exit. How did he get out of the simulation? We need to go. You need to come with us. I'm staying. No, you aren't. Zealot pinched the back of Love's head. Love screamed, and the whole virtual realm shook. What is the meaning of all this strange shaking? Will Zealot, Love, and Christian escape from this mindscape prison? Well, yes, actually, I wasn't trying to imply that that wasn't going to happen. That immediately happens at the beginning of the next chapter. Kind of a false cliffhanger, actually, if you ask me. But... Uh, what about what happens after that? Will it be interesting, or will the writer have written an incredibly boring chapter? Find out next time on Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded. The Pilgrim's Progress Reloaded was written by David Umstead. Audio editing by William Umstead. Thumbnail art by Kirk DePonce. And audio recording by Chester Debelak, which for all you know is a name I just made up, illustrating the lack of significance credit outros have to anyone but the person credited and thus making the entire construct of credit outros an exercise in self-gratificatory inefficiency.